today we're continuing our series on the chase, the pursuit of the heart of God. And I'm going to jump straight in this week, um, just picking up where we left off last week and um, about having a godly heart is where we started last week. And a godly heart is a heart that is willing and prepared and surrendered. Um, so that was sort of just a real brief overview of last week. Um, but in saying that, um, we, what we need to understand is that we all have a purpose from God in this life. Um, if we're going to meet God's purpose for us, we need a heart that is sold out to God. Like you can't follow God's will for us if we're not ready to follow him and be obedient to him and, and saying yes to God and all those things. Um, we, this is the thing. We will not go where our heart knows we need to go. We will go where our heart desires us to go. And what I mean by that, we get into a situation like all of us know we, there's certain foods that we shouldn't eat or shouldn't eat a lot of, but our heart wants to. We, we desire it and that's what we do. Um, there's certain things that like we kind of go, oh, I don't want to, I want to get up early and go to the gym, but my heart desires to sleep in the nice warm bed. And so our head at times will go, yes, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do this. I need to do, but our desires actually dictate what we need, what we actually do. And this is something that's important. If our heart is not sold out from God, we can fill our head with all the knowledge of the Bible. We can know all the steps that we need to take, but we won't actually go that way. We must start with a heart that is surrendered to God. See, society tends to associate deep spirituality as a weakness or a liability. When they see people and when they portray Christians in media, um, one of the ones I like, or not like, but have seen quite evident, is, is Christians in shows like The Simpsons. They are foolish, they are weak, they are... Um, they, they have sort of no bright, no brain in them at all. And so often people sort of go, well, you must be foolish to actually believe in God. You must be foolish to do what God wants you to do. But the, and the world celebrate those who don't need God. If I can go out and conquer by myself, if I can do what I want and, and do it by myself, that must be real strength. But see, as God sees it, um, what, what happens is we get to a place where, um, God actually sees being surrendered as something that where we are able to um, get, be actually a lot stronger. And this is where David comes in. Um, David is a great example of having a surrendered heart and also um, being fully strengthened. Um, so what we're going to do is look at probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, um, David and Goliath today. See, the Philistines have invaded and King Saul and the Israelites have actually met on this valley. So there's a, a hill either side. You've got the Israelites on one side. The Philistines have come into the land of Israel. The army of Israel, uh, army of Israel has come to meet them and they're basically at a standoff because as soon as one of them goes down to the va- in the valley, they are at a worse off position. They're in a position where they will not be able to. Um, they'll be fighting uphill. And so basically they're standing off and they're, they're sort of waiting for the other side to act. Um, and, and this, this becomes hard because they've, they've got a few choices. One of the armies could leave and would lead to dishonor and would leave the, the other army to, to sort of celebrate a, a victory that they didn't even have to fight. They could attack, which would probably prove to be very suicidal. Or, um, or the only other option is to wait. And so while they have been waiting for 40 days, 
um, a giant named Goliath had been coming out and he had been taunting and mocking the armies of Israel. Now, this is what Goliath had on his side. He was nine feet tall. Okay, when you've got that on your side, Jeff, how tall are you in feet? Do you know how tall you are? Six, Jeff, six foot four. Um, so add another two, three feet roughly, and that's, that's where Goliath was. Okay, um, and so you could understand that would be a little bit intimidating. Especially when he's like, you, you, Tessa read all the things that he was carrying out. He looked like a walking tank. He was out here and he was coming out to this, um, edge of the, the, the valley and, and saying, come out, send someone who will come and fight me. And if you win, we will, we'll surrender to you. We'll, we'll be your slaves and, 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 and that battle will be over. You don't have to, no one else needs to die. But if we win, the, the opposite is going to be true. And so in, in saying that, what we need to remember is that we all have a Goliath in our life. Something that is challenging us, something that it taunts us, it picks on us, it screams at us, it terrifies us. And so today what I want to talk about is how we overcome our Goliaths. We do not need to be defeated in this life. We do not need to cower or hide or run away. We are children of the King. And so to first overcome our Goliath, we must deal with the invisible enemy. Now, Goliath wasn't an invisible enemy. He was very easy to see, even from the opposite side of the field. And the problem is not Goliath. The problem is not the enemy on the field. The problem is that Saul and all the army are afraid. Even the sight of Goliath produces fear in their life. They are hiding away, wishing for it to go away, but not really holding on to any hope that it will. And see, this is the thing. Fear dismays us. It disorients us. It is thrown, it throws us off track. And when we think in our, of our, in our minds that we can never ever beat that, we go, this is too hard. This is impossible. And suddenly fear and discouragement takes over our world. See, our Goliath is taunting us. And every time we don't beat it, it seems like it's laughing at us. And we are crushed further and further every time we fail to overcome it. This is where our fear, our fear is what holds us back. And sometimes our fear is what holds us back from living for God in its fullness. We just can't overcome this, so I can't live in the freedom that God wants me to live in. Our giant is just a giant. Our problem is just a problem. And if you live your life in fear, you are defeated already. And this is why sometimes our worry or our fear of something is actually more debilitating than the actual problem itself. If you live, um, but, but you might say, but my Goliath is so big, how will I ever stand up to it? Or what you need to do is when you look at your Goliath is to see it through God's lens. If we view our God through our lens, it's easy and logical to say, I could never do that. Not me, not in my strength. If you were one of the men in Saul's army, when you looked across that field and go, I can go down and meet Goliath and, and maybe if I get lucky, I might be able to sort of poke him with a really, really long stick. But after that, I don't really have a chance. I don't really have an option of, of winning this. And so they don't see any logical way of, of, of winning. But the thing is, what we need to realise is that there is something we need to look at through God's lens. Because in God's economy, it's not true. 
Either God will defeat it for you or he has prepared you to face it and you don't realize it yet. God will defeat it for you or he's already prepared you to face it and defeat it. You just don't know it yet. The whole thing starts with your perspective and seeing it as God sees it. Now, I don't know what your Goliath is. It could be family. It could be health. It could be work, relationships, the future, what's next. No matter, no matter what it is, you need to realize that your God is bigger than every single thing that comes your way. If you think your Goliath is not bigger than your God, then there's, there's, there's a faith issue there. But we need to still, we still need to believe it. The thing is, um, when we look at our Goliath through the lens of God's eyes, our Goliath begins to look a lot smaller. Isn't it always the way when you, when you see something that's really big and you put something big behind it, the first thing looks smaller? Like you might go, oh, look at this three-story building. This is huge. Until you put a 10-story building behind it. You go, oh, this one's not that big. And that's what happens. When we view things through God's lens, all of a sudden it doesn't look as big. Saul and the Israelites could not do that. And because of that, they were imprisoned by their fear. For 40 days, they had sat there. The Philistines were in their land and they hadn't done a thing about it. Now, meanwhile, David comes into the story around this point. Now, remember from last week, we looked at the fact that David was anointed king, and but he's still looking after the sheep. He's being promoted by God, but he's still serving in that humble and willing way. He's totally unaware of what's happening at the battle. Like there's no email, no Google then, no phone updates. He doesn't know anything about what's happening at that place. And Jesse, um, David's dad, wants to send a care package basically to his other sons who are actually fighting or with the army at that time. Jesse's unaware as well. He, he, he's actually looking to, to send David with some cookies and some, some chocolate and, and maybe some other nice little goodies along the way. And while you're there, David, get an update of what's happening in the battle. Um, and so off David goes and with those instructions. Now he shows up, as he shows up, he sees Goliath taunting the Israelites and mocking God. He sees the fear that is in the camp and whether it is his youth um, or his relationship with God, I don't know which one, but he begins to ask around. He basically says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here is David. He's just walked in the camp, probably a donkey with him carrying all his goods. He sees Goliath, the man who's been standing on the opposite side of the hill that has petrified the armies of Israel. And David's going, what happens to the guy who kills this guy? All the Israelites aren't thinking about that as a possibility. They're going to, no one can kill this guy. That's why no one has volunteered. No one has gone out and done anything about it because they don't think it's possible to actually face this. And so David sort of starts asking this question. Now, again, it could be youth. He might go, oh, yeah, I might get a lucky shot in. But I'm probably leaning towards the size, a sign of faith. David has already demonstrated that in his life. David's perspective is this. Who is this guy? Doesn't he know who he's messing with? Now, he's not talking about himself. He's not talking about the army. Who is he talking about? God. He's going, who is this guy that he is mocking God? He may be a giant among men, but my God is a giant among gods. 
My God is the only God. My God is the one that will be able to sort of smite him without even sort of lifting a finger. Who is this guy that he is, um, who does he know who he's messing with? Meanwhile, all the soldiers are, are thinking, who is this punk kid who's walked into our, our, our base, walked into our camp and is asking all these questions? Because basically in asking all these questions, what he's bringing up is the fact that all of you, for the last 40 days, not one of you, not a single one of you, have actually put up your hand and say, I have the courage to face Goliath. Now, in human sense, it makes sense to not volunteer for that. But again, David's come in not with, in a, a human way, he's come in with a godly perspective. And so, all of a sudden what happens, one of the men in the army though, comes along and is his brother. Now, whether David realised this or not, by pointing out and asking the questions, who is going to face Goliath, he's basically saying that his brother is a coward. Well, at least that's what the brother would have heard. That would have been that. You know when you've got a sore point and you poke it, whether it's like an, you've got an infection somewhere, every time you poke it, it hurts? I can imagine for all the Israelite army that any time brought this, anyone brought up the fact that no one was going to go out and face Goliath, it was a bit of a sore point. And to have a young kid come into a camp and actually bring this up, it was going to become a real sore point. Having that young kid be your little brother, I don't know about any of you, but having like a little sibling come up and go, oh, can't you deal with this? I can. Like, would be, would be. But now David didn't come across that way. But again, because it's a sore point, that's how it would have come across. Now, all the soldiers, um, try and convince David that Goliath is too big and you, you, you need to be quiet. You need to just be quiet, go home. Why are you even here for? But David's constant questioning is brought to the attention of the king. And David is called, called before, um, King Saul. Now, you've got to imagine this picture. Now, when we first learn, learn about Saul in, in 1 Samuel, Saul was actually head and shoulders above everyone else. So I'm probably going to go, Saul is probably more like Jeff. So Goliath is still nine foot, but Saul is not a little guy. And David is a young, probably a teenager at this point in time. And so he comes and stands before, actually, for what could be called even a giant king to, compared to him. He's a boy. He's come in. He's, he's got shepherd's gear with him. And the king is on his throne. He stands up in front of him. And so you can see the picture here. Again, it's out of, I suppose it's out of contrast or out of context a little bit because all of a sudden David is in a position where he looks small again, even before the king. He's not a proven warrior, which the king was. He was the youngest son, just a shepherd. We saw that last week. But this is what David actually said when he was in front of the Saul. He said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now again, in this, what I see is, is a faith in David's heart. It's a godly perspective and, and, and understanding that the problem that is on the field is a, is a problem that God can deal with. You see, we need to first change the way we see the enemy, looking through the perspective of God. And then we need to change the way we see ourselves. Because God intends us to do great things. And maybe you don't believe that just yet. But we need to understand that the invisible enemy, which is fear, and secondly, you've got to view yourself as the one who will be the improbable champion. The improbable champion. The champion that's not likely... 
And again, sometimes we read through David and Goliath and we, we hear, oh, that's like a David and Goliath story and you, you've got someone who's of, of great confidence or great and they, they overcome. Again, David's confidence was solely in God and it gave him, a, but in doing that, it defined who he was and what God was wanting to do around him. And so we, we all have to come to that place where we understand that God means to use you and use you in a powerful way. And before God wants to make you, have you make an incredible difference in this world, in your world that you live in. And before you dismiss yourself for any reason, because often that's what happens when we go, oh, God wants to use you and you go, oh, I'm not of any use. Okay, straight away you're going, well, God, God can't change who I am. And remember, David was not, not a likely champion. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't old enough even to be with the army. He was still out with the sheep when Jesse actually said, he was just a messenger boy going to the army and coming back. But the thing is, you need to see yourself as a champion because you are a child of the king. And it is God who is standing behind you. This is not about what you can do on your own, but what God can do through you and you be, as you begin to look at your giant through the lens of God and look at yourself through the lens of God, you will understand that you can be the improbable champion and it comes down to this. You need to trust in God's plan. See, God's plan for you, um, don't, go, don't go looking around for someone else to face your giant. David didn't come to the battle and sort of make a recommend day, oh, my big brother could take him. He didn't brag about other people or there's some, oh, there's a guy back who's living in, in, in Bethlehem who could take this giant. I, I knew a lion that I killed once, he could have taken the giant. He didn't recommend anyone else. He trusted in God's plan for, for himself. Um, and this is something we've got to do as well. God's plan is us. And he wants to do a powerful, wonderful and amazing and impossible things through us, we just have to believe in him. Now, I'm not telling you to act foolishly. Sometimes people hear like, oh, we can do all things through God and let's sort of run through a brick wall and to prove it. And we go and face these impossible situations in our own strength and not God's. David didn't do that. He didn't run down that hill screaming the whole way. He would have been puffed at the bottom and had to run all the way up on the other side then. Like, he didn't do that. He didn't have an overdone idea of self-confidence. I, I remember years ago, um, before Steve Irwin passed away, there was a, a really brief news clipping. And Steve Irwin, for those who didn't know, tackled crocodiles for a living. That's what he did. And there was, there was this New York article about Steve Irwin visiting the Broncos back when they could play football. Um, for, um, so Gordon Tallis was in there. And so Steve Irwin says, oh, I've always wanted to tackle some of these big players at, at football. Now, again, you think well, he's, he's good at tackling crocodiles, things that will eat you um, um, for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, and, he, and so you sort of think, well, this is a likely thing. So Steve Irwin was pretty confident. And so um, Gordon Tallis, who had the nickname The Raging Bull, that was his nickname. Um, and so all of a sudden, Steve Irwin lined up Gordon Tallis and Gordon Tallis ran towards him and Steve Irwin bounced off him. And he got up limping. Now, again, Steve Irwin had a, 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 a sense of confidence from what he did. But again, it was too big a battle. David didn't do that. He didn't go in going, do you know what? I can take this guy. I'm better than Goliath. There was not, no, not a, a, an idea like that in his mind at all. Da David didn't respond the way, that way. But he knew 
He was what he was looking at because he had a godly perspective. He knew what God could do through him and somehow in the wilderness with the sheep, God had made it that clear to him. Now next, David and Saul discussed back and forth saying, you can't go. David goes, I can do it. And he discussed, I killed a bear and a lion and I can do this. Saul says, you can't go, you're just a boy. And David goes, yes, I can. And eventually Saul says, and I think from Saul's perspective that no one else is even willing to go. Now, Who's one person that Saul knows is definitely not willing to go? Himself. Now, who is the largest person in the Israelite army? He is. And, and I think this is the thing. Like he, he didn't have the courage to go. And so, willingly or unwillingly, not seeing any other choice, he says, David, you can go. But his next step is to, to basically equip David for battle the way that Saul would fight battle. So he gave him his helmet. He gave him his, his sort of, um, 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 breastplate. And, and of course, the armor is way too big. David can barely walk in this armor, let alone fight in it. And so David says, he takes it off and he takes his staff and then goes and collects five smooth stones from the creek and with his sling in his hand and he approaches Goliath. He goes dressed as a shepherd. That's who he is. He knows exactly who he is in God. Now this full armoured giant approached, um, he's approached by someone who is prepared to look after sheep. Even worse, as Goliath gets closer, he realises this is not even a man, it is a boy. And Goliath is enraged. You've got a sword and shield and spear versus a stick and a slingshot. Doesn't seem like a very fair battle. And if you understand the invisible enemy of fear, um, defeating them through looking at, at your Goliath through the lens of God, and understand that God made you for so much more, you are not defeated because you are a child of God, and finally you can step into the impossible battle. But you have to do that in order. If you just go out, I'm going to do something amazing for God, but don't actually look at it through God's lens... Well, one, you're actually getting to a point where you're not being in a surrendered place. God's lens makes it look different. We need to accept and trust God's plan. Then you can face this impossible battle because you step out in God's power. Stopping at step two because we feel better, where we just, when we sort of feel like we are, God has sort of made us special and we can sort of pat ourselves on the back, oh, I feel really good about it doesn't actually take the battle away. doesn't take the enemy away. Goliath is still there and he's still taunting us. You have to walk out onto the battlefield and you have to face that thing. Now it might be the scariest thing you have ever done, but in the power of the Lord and with the perspective of God's ability, you can walk into the impossible battle, which is now no longer impossible. It is actually impossible for you to fail. Do you, do you realize that? When we are, go exactly where God wants us to go, when we are in line with God's will, when we, we are seeing it with godly perspective, if we are understanding who we are in God, all of a sudden what happens when we face that impossible battle, God is with us and God will not fail, therefore we won't. Now, Goliath is really hating on David at this point. He says, Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David with his own gods. And then he says, come here. He says, I will give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. 
Okay, if you're ever inviting, having a birthday party, don't use that as your invitation. Okay, it probably really won't work. But here is David closer and closer seeing Goliath and Goliath calls that out. But then we see um, in later on in Saul, 1 Saul 17 verses 45 to 47. This is David's response. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the, to give you um, the carcass. The, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. All those gathered here will know that that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Now David does a couple of things here. One, he actually gives acknowledges the uh, who's going to win. But he actually spreads out the victory. It wasn't just going to be defeating Goliath. He was going to be defeating the Israelite army. And people, the, the Israelites were going to be clear about who won the battle. David did not say, I can do this. I can take you. I'm bigger and badder than you. I've, I've got some moves. He didn't say any of that. He actually corrects Goliath's understanding. Because in the beginning, um, um, when Tessa read earlier, Goliath actually sort of said, aren't you the armies of Saul? David says you have defied the armies of the living God and for that reason you are going down. He knew the army of Israel was not did not belong to a king, they belonged to God. And David understands where his strength is. He understands where his victory is coming from and he understands that it is not because he is all that but he knows that the glory belongs to God. You must change your perspective by seeing through God's lens you need to under, under uh, you need to change your perspective about yourself by understanding that God is going to make you the improbable champion, and you must step into the battle um, in the power of God, and you are you've got to shout God's immutable glory. Now that's a, that's a big word for a Sunday. I know immutable means that you cannot keep it quiet. For some of you, you may think that your children are immutable. Okay, but this is bigger than that. It's bigger than like, um, um, it is the fact that we cannot be quiet about praising God. Jesus said, even if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out and praise him. And that's the thing. Creation cries out God's glory all the time. Um, from sunset to sunrise, from bright sunny day to the rain that falls and brings you life. The stars that fill the night sky all declare the greatness of God. So if we can't, if, if you can't um, um, shut up about if, if 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 the creation can't shut up about praising God, we may as well join in as well. And David knows this about himself. He praises God for the victory, while Goliath is still standing in front of him. The giant is still there. The problem that the Israelite army have been waiting 40 days to do something about is still present. And yet at that point in time, David says, I will praise you. And so as we declare the immutable glory of God, we need to shout loud of God's deliverance even before it has come. And that is hard. It is hard at times when we feel that we are hit Time and time again, when our Goliath, sometimes what happens, our Goliaths actually double in size right while we're watching them. 
All of a sudden it was this problem, now it's this problem, now it's bigger and bigger and bigger and we go, God, how are we going to be able to face this? How is this going to overcome? We've got to go through those steps. We need to get perspective of God. We need to get God's perspective of ourselves. We actually need to enter the battle in God's power. And then we shout, we shout um, the loud of God's deliverance. Again, this is not one of those charge the hill moments. You do have to go through the steps. And if you don't go through the steps, again, you could end up sort of taking on a battle that God doesn't intend for you. And this is why it, it, last week when we started with the godly heart, we must be surrendered to God. We must be able to trust him. And then you are able to step out in God's power, not our own. Now, now this is not also, it's not about stepping into reward. Sometimes our giant is that we want more of something or we want an ease, something life to be easier. It's not stepping into reward. It's about defeating the Goliath, conquering that thing that brings you fear in your life. And as we trust God, we can praise him even before it has come. Now, as I wrap up today, the very thing that makes your enemy so frightening is often your enemy's weakness. Now, Goliath stands nine foot tall. We've all established that. That is pretty big. Um, he, he is a giant and he most likely suffered from a hormone imbalance that caused giant, giant gigantism. Now, this imbalance, while it gives great size, because basically what happens, your body continues to grow up until the point that you die. So you don't sort of reach a point and go, yep, that's, that's my design and that's where I'm going. Um, it, you keep on growing. Um, and But while it gives great size, it also um, has side effects that come with it and it affects eyesight. So one of the things you'll note that the shield bearers actually walked in front of Goliath as he walked onto the field. Goliath didn't carry his own shield. And so it has been speculated that the shield bearer was there because Goliath didn't fight a, a, a distance battle probably because of poor eyesight. He wanted to be able to stand right in front of you and go, squash you. That's what he wanted to do. And so the shield bearers would walk in front with the shield in front of them so if there was anything being sent their way, they would be protected. But they were there to lead Goliath to the bug on the other side that was going to be squashed. That was their job. And so what we need to realise is that... um, as he came closer, what we see is that all of a sudden, Goliath actually calls out and says, why do you come at me with sticks? Now, how many sticks was David carrying? One. So as Goliath is walking towards David, he sees multiple sticks because his eyesight's not great. He can't see clearly. And so because he wants to see a little bit more clearly, he comes closer and closer again. Now, and Goliath was built for this close fighting and that's where he wanted to be. Now on the flip side, David has been prepared, God has been preparing David for this moment all his life. Now when we think, we hear, we know David killed the lion and the bear when he's in front of Saul, he tells that story. Now some, some of us we go, oh, we think of a Samson story where, where Samson fought the lion with his bare hands and ripped him to pieces and we think, oh yeah, David did the same thing. No, David was small. David wouldn't have won the battle that way, but God had been preparing him. He had a stone and a sling, and you sort of think, how much damage could that do? 
The thing is, they've actually done some um, studies and, and tests and, and looking at some of the ancient slings and how um, they worked. And we, we need to picture this a little bit because effectively they've found that the stone in those slings, while being really, really accurate um, with those who trained to use them, they had the effectiveness of a 45 caliber gun. So let's get this picture. Nine foot giant right in front of you. And David with a sidearm. How is he going to miss that guy? He's right there in front of him. And this is the image. This is the image from God's perspective. This is, this is the thing. God has put a different perspective in David's mind. And David has adopted that. He wasn't trapped by the perspective of Saul and the Israelites, where somehow they had to get close enough to, to Goliath and stick a sword into him. Meanwhile, Goliath can just go like this and he's safe the whole time. David was never intending of getting really close to the giant. God had given him another perspective, another way through. And so all of a sudden, um, David walked onto this field with God's perspective of the giant and of himself. He entered the battlefield in God's power, ready to shout of the glory of God and for how God had brought everything into play to bring about God's ultimate victory. And this is where we've got to think about our own lives. That God is, is, God prepares us to face the giants in our lives. God equips us, God empowers us to do that. It's not our strength, it's not our ability to overcome, it is what God is already doing in us. Now again, I don't, as I said before, I don't know the giants that you're facing. But I, I know there's giants that have come up in my life. Sometimes they are massive giants, sometimes they, they are maybe large hurdles. But again, like, they are things that we need to move ahead with a godly perspective. We need to understand who we are as we enter that field of battle, that improbable champion. We need to understand it is God's power that goes before us and that we can praise him. We can actually declare his immutable glory. We, we do not have to be quiet about what God is doing in our lives. So what giant are you facing today? Are we ignoring them? Are we trying, waiting for them to go away? Do the giants keep, up, keep coming out and mocking you and taunting you? Do we feel like failures because, or do we feel like the army of Israel? Where we sit back and we go, we can't do anything about this problem. Let's just wait for tomorrow where the giant taunts us again and taunts us again and taunts us again. Or do we change our perspective? God, how should I be looking at this? God, how, do, how does this problem look when, when I put you right in front of it? Problem, God. Okay, I'm all good. I can face this problem. Oh, and then God says, okay, I need, I need you to think about you do yourself differently. Oh, God, I can't do that. I'm, I'm the same who I always was. God again says, hey, I'm God. I've created you. I've made you. I've made you. I, I've, I've, I've even led you through some of your challenges to make you who you are today. I've said this before, God never wastes an experience, good, bad or indifferent. He never wastes it. He can use it for his glory in the future. And in spite of the difficult nature it might be, God may be using that time to prepare you to face a giant in the future. So today as we look at this idea of a courageous heart, I challenge you to face your giants with a godly perspective, understanding who you are in God knowing that you enter the battlefield in his power and knowing that you can praise him. You do not have to be quiet about your praise for him. 
even before he has delivered you into victory. Lord, I thank you today that um, whatever challenge, whatever giant, whatever problem that is in front of us, you are bigger. For that, I praise you. I'm so thankful that we can we can rest and, and trust in a God who is bigger than anything that we will face. You are a God who is worth following, a, a God who is worth trusting, a God who is worth believing in. And because of that, Lord, I, I, we can stand here today and, and begin to change our perspective of, of the giants that are in front of us. Help us to change who we are, how we think about ourselves, and let, let us look at ourselves the way you look at us to look at how you have been changing us and transforming us and equipping us to face the things that are in front of us. But Lord, also I pray that you would come to a a point where we would not just rest at that point, but we would enter the battlefield, that we would face that giant head on in your power and, and your direction. And I thank you that we can praise you even before something has happened because we know that you will work in a mighty way. You will work in us and around us and through us to see your will happen. So today, Lord, help us to move forward in facing that giant, that Goliath in our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.